Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by our small group pastor, Sherry Benke, as we continue our series, Explore God. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. And now also on Monday nights at 6.30 p.m. We hope to see you there. Well, good morning, community. How are you guys doing? Hello to those joining us digitally as well. I don't know about you, but I think uh, even if Puxatawney Phil didn't think we need an early spring, I think after surviving the polar vortex, I think we deserve an early spring. Can I get an amen for that one? Yes. Yes. Very cool. Thank you for being here this morning. I am one of those people who can be a quick decision maker. Um, I don't require a lot of information to, to make a quick decision, and it's kind of a gut thing. I kind of just go with my gut, good or bad, I can make a pretty quick decision. However, there is this kind of tipping point where if I get more than maybe, say, like four or five options, I get a little like glazed over and get kind of stuck in some analysis paralysis. For example, and this is like an example of a real conversation that I have with my husband on a regular basis. Um, I'll be leaving work and I'll think, oh, I need to stop by the store and I want to pick up something for dinner. So I'll call and see if my husband wants anything specific. And so I'll call and like, hey, I'm on my way to the store to pick up something for dinner. Uh, what would you like? And he'll respond with something like, um, how about steak and a salad? And I'll be like, okay, cool. What kind of salad? And he'll say a green salad. <laughs> and so then I'll go to the store and, and I see this whenever I get there. This makes my eyes glaze over, guys. Is this green salad an iceberg green? Is it a romaine green? Is it a spinach green, an arugula green, a spring green? Like, look at all the lettuces we have to choose from. Holy smokes, right? Here's another one. And some of you in the room probably will remember this. Remember when a box of Cheerios was just a box of Cheerios? Like it was just a yellow box of Cheerios, Cheerios, that's it, right? It was very simple. Now in the 80s, we did get blessed with the honey nut Cheerios, that's for sure, yes. However, did you know that today, not only do we have honey nut Cheerios, we have nut cluster, apple cinnamon, multigrain, yogurt burst, we have peanut butter, fruity, chocolate, and don't forget pumpkin spice. These are just the ones I can remember, there's more. There's more Cheerios that we have. Isn't this crazy? We have more options than ever at a grocery store. In 1990, this has been less than 30 years ago, the average grocery store had between seven and 9,000 grocery items in it, different grocery items. But today, a typical grocery store has 43,000 different grocery items. That is just too many choices, too many choices. Um, Some friends of mine, Charles and Chero, uh, you may remember them. They're from uh, Nairobi, Kenya. They spent six months with us last year in preparations to plant a church in Johannesburg, uh, South Africa. And I remember having lunch with Chero and she goes, oh, there's so many options in America. (laughs) And she says, when I order tea, I just want tea. I don't want green tea or black tea or hot tea or cold tea. She was like, I just, I just want tea. (laughs) So whether it's at a grocery store or uh, somewhere else, the enormous amount of choices that we have right at our fingertips can really seem overwhelming. We have so many choices. 
And we don't just have choices with groceries like Cheerios or lettuce or tea. We also have choices when it comes to ideologies, philosophies, perspectives. I mean, all a person has to do today is just go to Google and they can get all the information. We're not here to convince you of anything. We're not trying to change your mind on anything. We have simply want to invite you to explore God, explore these questions with us as we wrestle through these. Because the one that we're asking today, I think is one that we all wonder about. And the question is, is Christianity too narrow? Is it too narrow? Now, I don't think it's a bad idea to have lots of choices at the grocery store. I think that's okay. That's kind of cool. But whenever it comes to religion, how do we approach that? I mean, what do we do with all this religious pluralism that we have going on? I'm sure some of you have seen this sticker on bumper stickers, this coexist sticker. And what this sticker really is saying is that, that we should respond and encourage tolerance. And I think that's a good thing. But this sticker is also saying, uh, what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. Um, and let's just be nice and, and let's everybody get along. And, and I think that's, I think any reasonable person would think that's a great idea. That is a great idea. A legendary songwriter, John Lennon, wrote about this ideal reality in the song Imagine back in 1971. And I want to read you some lyrics from that song. It says, imagine there's no countries It isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. And at the end of that song, it says, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. And hear me on this. I think we all should do our very best to not be divisive. I think we all should do our very best to not oppress or be hateful. And we should do our best to live peaceably among all people. Can we all agree that that is a great idea? Absolutely. We can all, the world would be a better place if every one of us leaned into those truths. Living peaceably with everybody. But yet, does that mean every belief system leads to the same outcome? That they're basically the same? I mean, are there real differences with real consequences? Real consequences for people now and real consequences for in the future. Is choosing a religion like picking a box of Cheerios? Or is there something more that we should consider when we begin to think about this subject? Now, I know there are some here who fully support whatever works for you, works for you. Uh, I, I know they lean into that. For example, we have a recent research that shows us that 52% of American Christians think at least some non-Christian faiths lead to eternal life. So that's more than half of Christians think there's more than one way back to God. I also know that there's some people in the room today who don't follow any religion. You're not even associated with Christianity. And so I want to acknowledge that there are some awesome, wonderful things about all our world religions and practices that we can learn from. 
And I think it would be a disservice to each of us if we somehow discounted people because they thought or practiced or believed something that was different than what we did. However, it is important for us to recognize that there are significant differences between religions that we just can't ignore. And though I believe most religions are trying to resolve this tension of us being separated from God, from humans being separated from God, but how we resolve that separation is very different. So let's look at some of these world religions. Let's look at what they teach on how to resolve this separation between us and God. And so the first one I want to talk about is Orthodox Judaism. Orthodox Judaism teaches that there are 613 commands that we must follow in order to find your way back to God. So in essence, obedience to the law is how you find your way back to God. Islam is another great world faith. And Islam has what's called the five pillars. Now five definitely seems better than 613, I would agree. But five pillars, these are still a way for you to work your way back to God. Buddhism is another great world religion. And it teaches that we need to achieve nirvana, which is really detaching from the world in order to kind of find our way back to God or um, actually eliminating any desires that we have. And then we have Hinduism. And Hinduism says that we find our way back to heaven when we become one with our great creator. And the way we do this is by living a pure and moral life. And we get a chance to do that by living over and over and over again until we perfect our life. And so each of these have distinct different paths on how you find your way back to God. But there's some observations that we can make. Just in these simple definitions, there are some observations that we can make. And the first observation that we can make is that each of these religions provides their own unique path on how to find your way back to God. Each one of them has their own kind of narrow way, so to speak, on how you find your way back to God. There's restrictions and uh, particular directions that you have to follow. The second observation is that each of these religions, religions teaches you that it's up to you. It's up to you and your own effort. That's how you find your way back to God. And whether that uh, obedience is through eliminating desire or leading a moral life or by being obedient, it is really your ability to hit the target that determines your destiny. In fact, I think we can kind of put a simple term to this, that these faiths are more about doing. They're about doing. That if you measure up, if you meet the requirements, if you do all the right things, you'll find your way back. It's kind of like buying an airline ticket. It's kind of like buying a first class airline ticket. You know, if you pay more, you get more services whenever you fly. Now, when I was in my early 20s, I had big dreams of working in the travel industry, one of my many careers that I had big dreams about. And so I applied to work at an airline. And the airline that I applied to work at, uh, the corporate office, office was in New Hampshire. And so they flew me first class to New Hampshire for the job interview. And here's the thing, first class is really fancy. We got to eat off of real plates. 
use real utensils. And here's this. They handed out warm washcloths to us to wash our hands before we got to eat. So it was really cool. But here, here's the thing. I've never paid full price for a first class ticket. But from what I understand, it not only gets you kind of these fancy perks whenever you fly, but you can not have to wait in line sometimes and you can get into some posh lounges within the airport. But the only way to get these extras is you have to pay extra. You have to pay more than anybody else. And that's kind of what this doing approach to life and faith is like. At the end of the day, it's how hard you work. It's how much you do. And if you do enough, uh, then you get a good seat. See, but it puts everything on me. And it just says, if I do, then I get. If I work, then I'm accepted. And here's the thing. In our performance-based culture, I think we really buy into that idea as well. But now the message of Jesus, it is distinctly different. Okay, first I want to acknowledge that there are lots of different ideas about what it means to be a Christian and what Christianity is. Uh, There's lots of uh, ways that people think about what it means to follow him uh, and how to live that out. I know for myself, I've actually turned on TV before and I've seen somebody kind of speaking on behalf of Christians and I kind of cringe a little bit. And so I just want to clarify some things uh, about what I mean when I say uh, Christianity or being a Christ follower. Christianity is founded strictly on Jesus, on what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And here at Community, we talk about being a Christ follower, that somebody who follows Christ. They put their faith and trust in him and they follow what he said and they follow what he did. And so what did Jesus say? Well, Jesus claimed to be the only way. He claimed to be the only way. We read this in John uh, chapter 14, verse six. It says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So Jesus is saying, I am the way, not a way. I am the way. He claims to be the exclusive way to resolve this separation between us and God. And he says, follow me. I am the way. He made it possible for us to find our way back to God by opening up eternal life for every one of us. Because you see, it's our sin that separates us from God. It's our failures that separate us from God. Every one of us have turned our back on God and we've gone our own way. Being a sinner is not a class of people. We are all separated from God. This is how Paul explains it. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So no matter how hard we try to to resolve this separateness from God, we fall short But here's what Jesus did. Jesus, he he couldn't stand the thought of us being without him. He couldn't stand the thought of us being separated from God, from the one who created us. And so he came after us. Think about it like this. If we're on this side, this is us. We are separate from God. There's this chasm between us and God. And those world religions, they're trying to resolve this space here. But no matter how hard we try, 
We try to keep the rules. We try to keep the rules, but we fall short. We try to detach from this life to to bridge that gap to back to God, but, but we fall short. We try to live a moral life to get us to God, but we still fall short. And then Jesus, he looks at this chasm and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna come to you. That's how I'm gonna bridge this gap. I'm gonna come to you. And so God in the form of Jesus came to this earth. We know who God is because he, Jesus is God. That's how we know. And when the religious leaders, they saw that Jesus was there and he was threatening their power, their uh, influence over people, making them, forcing them to follow these rules, Jesus came face to face with the darkness of humanity and he was sentenced to die. But his life wasn't taken from him. He willfully laid down his life because of our separateness from God. He willfully did that. And he rose from the dead, proving that he not only had power over sin, but he had power over death itself. And now he offers each and every one of us this free gift, this free gift of finding our way back to God. This is what Paul says in the book of Romans. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it's a free gift. But I have a hunch in our performance-based culture, when we hear free gift, we're skeptical. We're not really sure. We're like, ah, I don't know, a free gift? There's gotta be a catch, right? We wanna attach a catch to that, but it, no, it's free. It's free. Jesus offers us this free gift. We just have to accept it and receive it. You see... That's what makes the message of Christianity so different and so unique. Every other world faith says it's about doing. It's about doing. It's about obeying enough, doing enough. If you do enough, those are the ones who reach God. But Christianity says, no, it's not about doing. It's about what's been done. It's about what's been done. It's not about accomplishing it. It's about accepting it and receiving it. That's what this gift is. Christianity is like that front row seat and that first class ticket that Jesus already paid for. Is Christianity narrow? Yeah, it is narrow. But so is other every world religion. They all have their way. Even non-religious people say their way is the only way. But is it too narrow? Absolutely not. It is radically inclusive. It is for every single one. Jesus made a way for every single one of us to find our way back to God. It is not about accomplishing it. It is about accepting it. It is not about what we have to do. It is about what has been done. And when we awaken to that, when we awaken to that reality, when we awaken to the reality of what Jesus has said and what he's done, that's when we begin to live this life and life to the full. Eternity doesn't happen when we die. Eternity happens now when we accept this free gift from God. There's a famous story in the Bible. It was documented by historian Luke um, when Jesus shared this story. And this story is known as the prodigal son 
And I'm sure many in this room are really familiar with that story. Even if it's not with the details, I'm sure you've heard of it. But what you may not be aware of is there's actually a Buddhist version of the same story. So they're very similar. A father has a son who turns his back on him. And the son goes off to live a wild life, live life on his own, fills his own desires, squanders all his money. Finds himself at the bottom of the bottom, homeless, out of money. And so he decides to return back to his father's house. But in the Buddhist story, when the son returns home, he's welcomed back, but he's welcomed back as a hired hand. He's hired to shovel excrement. In other words, he was a pooper scooper for 20 years. For 20 years, he shoveled to earn his way back into God's grace. But in the story that Jesus tells, when the son returns home, and the father is actually standing looking for him, and when he sees him out in the distance, he sees him, the father actually runs to him. He runs to him and he embraces him and he kisses him. And, and the son tries to say, I'll work for you, I'll earn my way back. And he's like, are you crazy? You're my son, I love you. No, we're gonna throw a party. One story is about doing. The other story is about what's been done. Jesus came for us. He came for us. He left heaven and he came for us. And he did everything required for us to find our way back to him. Christianity is not too narrow for our world today. It is exactly what the world needs. The, the, the message of Christianity is more than just this idea of tolerance. It is radical inclusion. The playing field has been leveled for every single person. It is radically hopeful. We do not have to accomplish it. We simply have to accept what Jesus has already done. Jesus is the God who runs to us. Jesus is the God that embraces us. Jesus is the God that gives us a kiss and welcomes us back to where we always have belonged. Pray with me. Father God, I pray for everyone in this room. And I thank you for your son who, who came here to get us. And I pray that everyone in this room receives that free gift that you offer to us. Maybe for the first time, they would just experience your presence in an undeniable way. or maybe for the hundredth time as they return back to you. Father, thank you for coming to us. It's in the holy name of Jesus that I pray.